as of this recording, it's recently been found out that Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman in Batman the Animated Series, Justice League, uh, the Superman Animated Series, Justice League Action, the Arkham games, pretty much a huge majority of Batman-related material has passed away due to cancer. I'm uh, very upset about this because Kevin Conroy was pretty much one of the defining elements, if not the defining elements, for Batman. He is the voice of Batman. He is how I've always have seen Batman both as a performance and voice and he was my Batman so to speak he is a childhood hero of mine and hearing that he has passed is extremely upsetting uh, R.I.P. Kevin Conroy Kevin Conroy along with Bruce Tim and the writers of the DC animated universe encapsulated nearly every aspect of one of the hardest comic characters to properly pin down they found a balance between vengeful crime fighter and intellectual detective while never failing to give the character an underlying heart. Kevin Conroy's contributions to animated works are immortal and will set the standard for the Dark Knight for decades to come. He was vengeance. He was the knight. He was, is, and forever will be Batman. There are too many cartoons but they'll watch them all. The penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And joining us in the digital recording booth today. Please welcome the host of Pemmy's other cartoon podcast, <laughs> Mr. Kylepedia. What's up, everybody? Now, would you care to talk a little bit about this other podcast for us first, Kyle? Well, I mean, I have a major love of just old cartoons, and but also the voice actors that we know. And, and Robbie and I would always, anytime we get together and we talk about it, we basically drive anybody else that's around us nuts. But we love talking about just the history, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, uh, Mark Hamill doing the Joker or uh, Michael Bell playing Sideswiper Duke from the G.I. Joe and Transformers cartoons and just the history and where we watched it and just what what other work they've done and just kind of talking about the companies that, you know, they that, you know, released them. So it's just kind of like more of a historical kind of look back on our childhood. So, you know, from the cartoons of this, you know, I guess originally would have been the 80s and kind of going to the 90s, but then also talking about stuff from the 60s and 70s that, you know, some of us may have seen, you know, not necessarily on syndication, but through, you know, online or boxes we might have bought so it just kind of just a, a kind of a way to go back and talk about our childhood and our fond memories of the shows that other people might deem as bad but you know we still have a love for all right and of course you can find that podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify and wherever podcasts are found yeah unfortunately we're I, i'm behind again episodes up but the last month's been kind of a whirlwind of uh kind of leaving one job, going on vacation, starting a new job and just a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm, I'm in the process of working on all those episodes and should, should be seeing episodes up pretty soon because I'm actually at a, jo a job where I'm actually kind of, it's kind of brought the thrill of working on media-based stuff again. So I'm kind of happy about that. So you would say your life has been a great big bang up? Yeah, let's go there. Yeah, I was working a job that basically sucked my soul dry, and then I'll leave it at that. And then the, the company, no, but the job itself, yes. Now I'm at a job where I'm like, I'm kind of back doing what I want to do, and I'm, I haven't been this happy in a while. So, shouldn't we be calling you Mister Calpedia? 
Go for it. I'll take that you know, upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Kylepedia. <laughs> of course, that bang-up line is a reference to the subject of today, the 1967 Spider-Man cartoon. Oh. The first animated incarnation of old webhead is he bad is he good he's got radioactive wood wait a minute that's not the song lyrics of course it would come out of your mouth penny (laughs) so let's get started with of course the history in 1967 comic books were firmly in what we now call the silver age with the revival of many of dc's missing classic heroes in new forms and Marvel Comics creating a new mythology of superheroes. Animation houses of the time certainly took notice. Filmation got their start bringing DC's heroes to television, starting with the first new Superman cartoons in 1966, since the Fleischers did them for theaters. And Hanna-Barbera quickly grabbed the rights to Marvel's Fantastic Four that same time. The rest of Marvel's big names of of the era landed in the lap of Grant Ray Lawrence animation. I'll say that this show at least looks a lot better than the Captain America cartoon. Dude, that, that, anything looks better than that. Captain America or those old Marvel sh- cartoons they released. No, if you've never heard of Grant Ray Lawrence, well, neither did I. Until I actually started digging into this show and its sister show, The Marvel Superheroes, which included that Captain America cartoon that Pemmy and Kyle mentioned. Founded by Disney Animation Division veterans Grant Simmons and Ray Patterson, hence Grant Ray, who were known for their work on Dumbo and several short subjects, alongside television producer and director Robert Lawrence, they had done subcontract work for Hanna-Barbera and UPA before setting out to make their own productions under distributor Krantz Films. And who brudda? (laughs) These were very, very low-budget shows, with the aforementioned Marvel superheroes basically applying limited movement to existing comic book panels. And not to mention lots of cut-and-paste stylings to try to keep the uh, art style consistent when different artists had done it in comics. Man, those things were a mess. (laughs) Naturally, those are on the list and possibly will appear in 2023 if a relevant Marvel movie comes along that we can tie them in with. For all intents and purposes, I can say that this the Spider-Man cartoon at least looks like far more effort was put into it considerably. Yeah, they, Spider-Man did get off a little easier. While it was a very stiff cartoon that relied heavily on stock animation and simplified its main character's design... It was at least all original artwork. Almost. Everything I read about it was, I think it was season three is where they started using, they were really starting to re- use restock footage from one of their other series, uh, Robin Hood series, I think it was. Yeah, Rocket Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah that's, right. when, uh, that's when Ralph oh Bakshi took over. Yeah. I, they, the main company went out, of, went out of business after season one and Ralph Bakshi took over season two and three, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. yep. We'll get to there in a, in a moment, of course. <laughs> but here in the first season, when not dealing with the antics of the colorful cast of supervillains, the focus is almost entirely on Peter Parker working as a freelance photographer for J. Jonah Jameson's Daily Bugle, providing pictures! Pictures of Spider-Man! He's a menace and I'll prove it! <clears throat> Sorry. I got carried away. I, I gotta say, if there's any positive I can say, I do like the voice actors in this show they do stretch them a bit thin especially in some of the villain roles but i think for the most part for 
sixties era voice acting, they do pretty good. Uh, Peter and Peter slash Spider-Man is voiced by uh, Paul Souls, and he does a really good job. Uh, the guy who voices Jameson does a really good job. You know, I I, cu- I couldn't get into it. I, I'm so used to hearing Ed Asner or J.K. Sims as as as, as Jameson. It just it just it took me out for a while. Looking at our voice cast, this crew of Canadian talent would be all over a lot of the same productions from Rankin Bass and Grant mm-hmm. Ray Lawrence, especially Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer which we're looking at next month, by the way. And as Pemmy mentioned, Peter Parker is voiced by Hermie, the elf dentist himself, Paul Souls, who had also worked with Grant Ray Lawrence in their previous Marvel series as Hawkeye, the non-Hulk Bruce Banner, and a spider foe who does not appear here, at least according to my research, Boomerang. He also also reprises the role of Spider-Man for the Spider-Woman cartoon that uh, the Patty Freeling does in the 70s. Oh, God, you're right. Yeah. And on this cartoon, we'll also hear him as the Vulture in three of that character's four appearances. I like his Spider-Man voice because he does one thing that I feel like a, not enough animated superhero shows do, which is he does a different voice for Peter and then a different voice for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. I think that's something that makes... A, I think it's a cool thing because it makes a lot more sense in the fact that you know, it helps keep a secret identity. I also like how bravado and like heroic his Spider-Man voice is. It's kind of over the top, but it works. And it's like with a voice like that, you're either going to be a superhero or a disc jockey. So. (laughs) And I would know about that second part, (laughs) not the first that you know of. (laughs) Now, Paul Kligman, who was Donner and Comet in Rudolph, I was the original voice actor for Captain America's arch nemesis, the Red Skull, voices J. Jonah Jameson here. And our last reoccurring character, Betty Brandt, was performed by Peg Dixon, best known as Mrs. Claus in the Rudolph special. Wow. Rounding out our credited cast is Bernard Cohen, who would provide narration when necessary, and would also narrate for several Grant Ray Lawrence and Rankin Bass productions, and do announcer duties on several CBS live-action shows of the era. We'll mention other performers as they become relevant to the episodes we're looking at. I, I can definitely say that. It, I know this is early in the superhero animated stuff, but you can tell that these animators didn't know how to properly animate a superhero action cartoon, because the animation, when it tries to be fluid, ends up looking very very janky or just overly cartoonish and the Mm -hmm. use of sound effects is they they use sound effects that even Hanna-Barbera would be like "Uh, no we don't use those in action shows and Hanna-Barbera gave us such wonderful sound effects as these (laughs) so all told this is a pretty streamlined take on the Spider-Man mythos we don't see much of Peter's life at home or school there's no sign of Flash Thompson or Harry Osborn or Gwen Stacy. But with the stories in almost every episode, in this, at least in this first season, running roughly 11 minutes each and did not connect with each other into a greater narrative, there wasn't a ton of room for the sorts of deeper stories that comics could tell. I do like this show, though, I will say that for all its good and bad for all i see for all the bad that's in this show i do like it quite a bit it's it's weird and strange but i kind of like just how just weird and strange it is i guess (laughs) 
And it, it certainly it, doesn't help that everybody's favorite Marvel movie cameo, Stanley himself, was a story consultant in the first season. No, I was saying, I mean, I thought that was a fun show. You know, they're short episodes, but I thought they were pretty fun. And I, I've got some questions I got to adhere to once we start talking about the actual episodes in particular. But I'm, but still, I mean, overall, it, it, it's you know, it, it was Spider Man for the '60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, I guess we could we can all agree that this theme song is a freaking banger, right? <laughs> Written by Bob Harris and Paul Francis Webster, this earworm has followed Spider-Man just about everywhere in mass media over the decades, including the Macy's Parade, nearly all of the feature films, and it's even been covered by the Ramones, arguably my favorite take on it. Yeah, that was on the uh, Saturday morning, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I forgot what the exact name of that CD was, but... It was an awesome take on the song. Yeah. (laughs) Had a... Great uh, Hong Kong Fu remix, or I like the uh, I think it was uh, oh gosh I forgot who it was, but uh, Reverend Horton Heat did a a cool version of the Johnny Quest theme that goes into the the Catch the Pigeon song from Dastardly and Mutley. Uh. So since we're looking at the first season, we may as well dive into the episodes now and then talk about what happened in seasons two and three afterwards. So are we ready for our first episode? Yes. Or is there anything else we wanted to say? Let's see. The first episode that stars your favorite villain, I might add. Oh, good Doc Ock. This is the power of Dr. Octopus. Full disclosure, yes, Doc Ock is my all-time favorite Marvel baddie. Ever since I was a little kid and saw his Secret Wars toy on the shelves of a local child world, and those four metallic arms figuratively, pun not intended, (laughs) <laughs> jumped off the shelves compared to the more mundane-looking Doctor Doom and Kang the Conqueror. Who even was Kang, I thought to myself, as a little six-year-old. I'd never heard of him. You better not be hating on Doom. I won't tolerate that. <laughs> I'm not hating on Doom, but to my little six-year-old brain, I'm like, okay, Doctor Doom's needed. Whoa, what's this? Let's be honest, Doctor Doom sucks compared to some hey. of the other villains they have out there. <laughs> hey now, hey now, hey now. <laughs> so reviewing the very first animated appearance of this character was a priority for me. And, well, let's be honest, I shouldn't be expecting terribly much. Our story begins with Peter driving alongside a, a mountain on, at night on assignment from JJ. Something about mysterious lights. Okay. First thing I got to throw up, Peter's driving? Since when? <laughs> Peter has never had a license. I mean, if you know the history, he's never had a license. He had the spider buggy, which he couldn't even drive. And the only thing he drove for the first 35 years of the comic book history was a moped. <laughs> See, this is why I wanted you on this podcast, Kyle. <laughs> and, how, and how does he afford a car? He can barely afford to make his own wedding. How does he afford a car and pay the and pay the insurance? <laughs> And here's the only thing I had is you said uh, you, you said he was looking for uh, uh, for mysterious lights, and the only thing that popped in my head was Aurora Borealis. I know, I know. <laughs> Shining down in Dallas. <laughs> can I see it? No. <laughs> but you can picture that. <laughs> Anyhow, amidst mixed Muppets and Simpsons references, we will continue. A rock slide blocks the road, and Peter can't hit the brakes in time careening off the mountain and landing on a branch. That one strong branch. A very strong branch. Yeah. 
Changing into his spider suit, he uses his webs to get his car unstuck and gently bring the car to the ground, conveniently placing him right in front of the plot. How that car didn't, yeah, how it just got lowered by a tree, please tell me how. (laughs) (laughs) This show works on cartoon physics. I know, I know. (laughs) Actually, I have a secret fan conspiracy theory that that branch is a relative of Groot. Dun, dun, dun. Would not be surprised. Groot was around back then. After just one appearance, but he was was still created in in the 60s. Anywho, once Spider-Man lands, a secret door on the mountainside opens with glaring lights behind it. Spidey checks it out, discovering your standard-issue 1960s secret laboratory. You know the type. Blinking lights all over the place, nondescript gadgetry, lots of metallic panels... I, I, I love how old school computers look in old 60s era shows. It's like tubes and lights everywhere. Jeez. <laughs> oh, and lots of swe- lots of like levers. And in the process of his gawking, Spider-Man is caught in a chain net by a purple-clad Doc Ock as we get our title drop. Nice shades. <laughs> now, Roy Orbison's evil twin here is voiced by Vernon Chapman whose acting resume is not particularly extensive. He had previously voiced Jarvis the Butler in the Marvel Superheroes show, and from what I could tell, he'd only returned to acting in 1991 as Nestor the Butler in the Tintin animated series. Wow. I'm guessing he's more of a stage performer? Probably. He does a pretty good job. Oh yeah, Yeah. It's, it's not the worst voice for the character, and it's a good performance for the time period. I'm just used to deeper intonations for Doc Ock, personally. I'm used to him having a consistent hairstyle throughout the entire show. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That is the biggest problem. They can't keep his hair and facial shape consistent through the cartoon. Sometimes his hair is the now-famous long locks that we're used to seeing on Alfred Molina. Other times, it looks like a 90s kid's spiky haircut. Yeah, I... I think my favorite was, I don't remember when, there was like one scene where literally it's like Doc Ock's talking and he's got the bushy hair and then it flashes the Betty and then it flashes back to Doc Ock and he's got like a buzz cut. I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. So Doc Ock's gloating that today is his greatest day as his new invention will give him power to rule the universe. And Spider-Man quips, don't expect applause. I I do like how they do a lot of emotion with Spider-Man's eyes in this show. I will give him credit for that i will give them credit for that and credit for that as goofy as the show can get they do nail spider-man's trademark snark yep that they do that they do a doc ock intends to obliterate a portion of new york city namely where spider-man himself lives but sent a warning to the bugle for an evacuation and sure enough we cross fade to the bugle where the warning has just arrived at jameson's desk and, of course, Jameson doesn't take it remotely seriously. Yeah, and as Betty worries about Peter, Jameson presumes he's just goofing off. Well, Spider-Man certainly is hanging around. <laughs> uh, that, that scene is one of the scenes, though, where I can say that it kind of proves that, despite how clumsy and awkward the animation is, it does show that they are trying to some extent, because, like, while Jameson's talking, you can see Betty's, like, looking around and the office and looking concerned when another studio 
the filmation would have just uh, had her be static the entire time. I, I got to give them props for that. They, they do. I mean, as stiff as the animation is, at least they at least give the at least facially give the characters a lot of good facial features. So, back at the lab, Spidey gets the chains loose while Ock is preoccupied. Sorry about that. <laughs> Elsewhere. And he's free by the time Ock returns. And the two have a fight scene that, while not especially exciting, is accurate to the early appearances of these characters in that Doc can break free from Spidey's webbing with relative ease. See, I was about to call BS on that. I wasn't sure because, you know, later in the thing, unless he just has a new formula, like... His, his webbing is supposed to be, like, stronger than steel. It, it kept Rogue at bay for a while, and she couldn't break free of it. Mm-hmm. Of course my gal can break free of it. <laughs> no, she, she couldn't break free of it. That's the thing. Oh. It, it kept her at bay. The only person I've ever seen that was able to rip his webbing, like, at full hardness was uh, basically Wonder Man. He was at, in one of the Marvel team-ups. He's at, they're at a uh, performance, and, like, he webs uh, Wonder Man's hands together, and he's able to actually break free of the webbing. Outside of that, other people have been held tight by it. They couldn't break out of it. Yeah, Wonder Man? Could... Yep. Really? I, I could believe Hulk or Juggernaut or The Thing or Thor. Okay, Jugger, Juggernaut. Okay, we're, we're talking about, you know, I'm just saying, you know, heroes, but Juggernaut, yeah, Juggernaut's a whole other, that's a whole other discussion for another episode. Hey, he, he was able to <laughs> stall, he was, Spider-Man was able to stall yeah. freaking uh, Megatron with it. There you go! There you go! <laughs> I mean, he was able to help. He was able to uh, get gears to help climb up a side of a mountain. I mean, come on! If he could hold gears, how is it? How is Doc Ock able to break it? <laughs> then again, this was when he was wearing the black suit, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Anyways, so Spidey continue. tries to escape, but Ock seals the cave and drops a cage on our hero, and not of the Nicholas variety. <laughs> and no spider sense is going to warn him of this. Yeah. is very inconsistent. I noticed. Show. I noticed. I don't remember which episode it was, but there's one episode where he's literally like, I sense trouble, and he turns around and there's literally a gun pointed right to his face. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was, yeah, it might be the episode. I watched the third episode, and we'll get, get into it later, but I watched the third episode, and you're like, is Spider Sense is very inconsistent in that episode. So now Betty's going along the mountain trail to track down Peter, and she spots his abandoned car. And as she searches, a cop startles her. When asked who she is, she replies that she's Betty Bugle of the Daily Brand. <laughs> hey, Betty Bugle, how you doing? <laughs> After warning her to be careful, she finds the lab and Ock lets her in. And as he observes she should be at the lab at any moment, we get some of the most blatantly poorly recycled animation I've ever seen. <laughs> Oh, we'll just reuse that Doc Ock from earlier. Yeah. No, my, my favorite part with Betty and Doc Ock's coming up in a second. Yeah, my, my mostly referring to the continuity error that this recycling created. Oh, no, no, I, I know you're going, but mine has to do more with uh, their uh, vocal uh, statements they right. have in a second. Because <laughs> this recycling means Spider-Man is back in the chain link net rather than the cage. Oh, you got a point. You got a point. Yeah, my heart literally sunk when I saw this demonstration of how limited the budget was for this cartoon. I think I need to get a doctor to check on that. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dr. Octopus looks like he gains and loses weight with every appearance. Well, that's true of the comics version, too. Yeah. 
he's pretty stocky in one and then, you know, pretty lean in another. I do like the line, though, of Betty asking Spider-Man. It's like, Spider-Man, how did you, how did he catch you? And he's like, I'm asking my, I keep asking myself the same thing. So now Doc is going to use his weapon with a deceptively simple, just like you, plan. <laughs> Again, that's snark. That was a good line. It's basically an advanced EMP attack targeting every water, gas, and electric line. And we get a classic villain cackle, and we go to the commercial break. And back from break, the steel bars are more than Spidey can handle, but he demonstrates his wits as he webs the control lever to the cage while Ox's back is turned. Mm-hmm. No one can interfere with my plans. Looks like I got you with your plans down. Ha! <laughs> Though, uh, when... I will note that when Dr. Octopus turns around the notice Spider-Man had gotten out, the, the lever is completely gone. Yeah. Mm. So we get some recycled animation of the previous fight, and now Spider-Man's spider senses go off as the bad doctor drops a massive weight in his direction. Just like a cartoon character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Only thing missing was the 16 tons of writing. He tried to Tom and Jerry, like, <laughs> he tried to Tom and Jerry Spider-Man. <laughs> Jeez. And Ock is now shooting electric bolts from his devices as Spidey climbs the walls to dodge them, but gets caught by a ventilator fan? Before yeah, we get to that ventilator fan, I, I gotta mention that the, the when they show him crawling up the wall and they're mm-hmm. shooting the electric bolts at him. The electric bolts are somehow going under Spider-Man instead of over Spider-Man, which raises a lot of questions on just it, physics. I think it's at this point too, you have it where basically you have, and this was like the, the, the comment, my attention for a second. You have Betty going, no, no, no. And the dog going, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> also like good overacting. <laughs> Also, Spidey gets caught in that ventilating fan, and it swings him around and throws him. How did it not cut off his freaking foot? Well, dull fan. Yeah. Spidey's down and out, while JJ's complaining all through trying to track down Betty and Peter both. Kids these days. <laughs> and then the phones start ringing off the hook. We get that, like, great like kind of stereotypical like businessman scene where like jj has got like four different phones and he's talking to at the same time and it, it takes this to get him to realize the letter from doc ock was no prank and indeed ock's weapon is causing violent eruptions in the city but spider-man has a plan webbing up the lock on betty's shackles so they can be a makeshift key once they harden that's a really clever idea can he actually do that? Yeah, I think his webbing, if done in the right thing, can take it can be used for stuff like that. It would have to be a very narrow web stream, but I he, I can see it happening. These are these are probably pretty basic shackles. He's done it before. So Betty makes a break for it, and Spider-Man again confronts Doc Ock and webs two of his robot arms together, which Ock uses as a club, which is a direct if simplified for time constraints, call back to Dr. Octopus's first appearance in the comics. Nice. As is Spider-Man webbing Ox trademark sunglasses. Which... The doctor is restrained, and we next find Spider-Man back in his civilian identity as Betty's explaining what happened to the police. 
And Peter's excuse for disappearing is that his uh, he was trying to get his car fixed. Mm. So the cop finds Doc Ock with a note, compliments of your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And back at the bugle, J.J. demands explanations, but won't let Betty get a word in edgewise, and he scolds Parker for not getting pictures. To which Peter responds with, I should have asked Doc Ock for a hand. <laughs> oh, he's got plenty. <laughs> And so we get the standard Spider-Man Swings Into the Night episode ending, which bugs me. Yeah, it's kind of weird because it just makes it look like Peter right after this happened just stuck on his outfit and swung off. (laughs) Well, that ending bit in general bothers me because he's just swinging back and forth on one web line rather than firing them off one by one. Maybe maybe he's connected to a jet. Maybe. I, 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 there, there has been episodes where he's literally like in like a desert and he's still swinging. I know! His, I know! It's like, what are you connecting to? Are you just getting burned? Well, you, you want to talk about swinging. Let's get to the next episode. Yeah, true. Absolutely. But first, this commercial break. The Amazing Spider-Man and the Incredible Hulk will return after these messages. On the next Pemmy and James podcast... Yep, of all of Cartoon Network's first major batch of original shows, these jawbreaker-loving misfits lasted the longest, a whopping 10 years on the network. And to think their creators started developing the show on a dare. Bring your buttered toast to the cul-de-sac and cuddle up with your favorite plank in two weeks. Well, this episode is certainly a change of setting from the typical Spider-Man adventure. Hey, we got Dr. Connors, though. Mm-hmm. He's down in a swamp at a fortress-like building, and he thinks he's found the Fountain of Youth. Until he's gets attacked by a conquistador. And, and I gotta bring up, is are we sure this is the same Dr. Kurt Connors that's supposed to be the lizard? Yes, it is. He, he is referred to as Kurt, Kurt, Curtis Connors, but sadly his scaly alter ego does not appear in this episode. It does appear, however, in another episode. Okay. So. The reason, reason I asked about that because there was another episode called The, Re- the Revenge of Dr. Magneto, but it wasn't Magneto in the sense of X-Men's Magneto. No. Nah, yeah, that one is a different Magneto, but no, it is, oh, okay. it is okay. the lizard. Okay. Now, Dr. Connors is voiced by character actor Gilly Fenwick, who did several villains in the previous Marvel cartoons, including the leader. Nice. So, at the Bugle... Jameson is paying Peter for pictures more than they're worth. <laughs> when a bulletin comes in, catching our hero, our hero and the supporting characters up to the plot. Kurt Connors has disappeared. Which, of course, J.J. just waves off as, oh, scientists are always absent-minded. Well, at least in Marvel Comics they are. <laughs> so, as J.J.'s dismissing it, Peter dismisses himself to see a sick friend. And a plane flight later, Mrs. Connors is giving Spidey the details, and he heads over to Connors' lab to check for clues. Well, so, wait, hold on. wait, wait. They live in Florida? Or he, go, he goes to see her in New York and then goes to Florida? Presumably are in Florida in some capacity, because uh, the Connors' son is there as well. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> I, I just was wanted to say that uh, Jameson has a pretty cold-blooded line to Peter, though. It's like, Peter's like, when Peter says he has to see a sixth friend, like, 
Jameson actually responds with, huh, I didn't think he had any friends. It's like, damn, JJ. <laughs> That's cold, Obi-Wan. <laughs> so, carrying on, in the lab itself, some Outback type is already there looking for some formula. And what he dismisses is water. He launches out the window and it turns out to be a growth serum based on how a nearby bush reacts. I call that a pretty significant character to, to establishing moment. Establishing this person as an idiot. Well, that's fine because he's created, for, for as far as I know, he's created for this show. So Yeah, I mean, and, and they couldn't use Craven? <laughs> we'll get I, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say James literally said that when we were talking about this episode earlier. Let, let's actually just get there now because I keep sitting here thinking to myself, if they wanted a hunter, yes, Craven is around at this point. If and they were so bent on an Australian, they already used Boomerang in the previous show. Thank you! Thank Why you make just, up it, this nudnik? Oh, God. Oh. And the guy uses That's all it. the weapons that Craven would normally use, too. <laughs> so Spider-Man arrives, and he's distracted by Connor's kid, Billy, and the Aussie clobbers Spidey with a boomerang. Since spinning animation. <laughs> Billy, by the way, is voiced by Billy Mae Richards, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer herself. Wow. Jeez. Also, it looks like every stereotypical young boy in a, like, 60s cartoon. <laughs> so we do get a name for our Australian hunter, Harley Cliveden. And, yep, he's looking for Connors. Billy wants to go with Spider-Man, but he tells the kid it's safer if he goes alone. He's right. <laughs> Will the kid listen? No. Of course not. And so Spider-Man's swinging through the jungle, and yeah, yeah, that is a little unlikely, but I would have forgiven it if they included Spider-Man doing a Tarzan yell. (laughs) (laughs) Watch out for that tree. But now, the inconsistent Spider-Sense triggers to alert him to a Spanish doubloon from the 15th century? Hubba what? <laughs> I, I think that's less Spider sense and more Scrooge McDuck sense there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As Spider Man muses that this is getting curiouser and curiouser, he realizes Billy's been tailing him. I'm having Spider meme flashbacks on some, remembering some of these scenes. I know, I know. And just then, Cliveden reappears with a bow and arrow. Which Spidey makes a shield slash shell of web to protect him and Billy. And the guy just keeps shooting arrows at him. Just continues to just like, your arrows aren't getting through, dude. Why are you wasting arrows? I think the bigger question is, why does Peter straight up walk into freaking quicksand? <laughs> Again, spider sense. It's at this point I should observe that uh, quicksand is much less of a problem than cartoons made me believe. Pretty much. It's highly exaggerated in cartoon shows and movies in general, to be honest. So Cliveden cackles on his way out, convinced Spidey and Billy have met their fate. I thought he'd never leave, Spidey quips, as he easily escapes with Billy via a palm tree, a string of web, and good old physics. See, with the way that tree responded, we're sure it's not a rubber tree? (laughs) Could be. Yeah. (laughs) Which then gets to the scene that I still find hysterically baffling. <laughs> yeah. I guess Spidey is resigned to taking Billy with him, 
and the doubloon being his only clue, he reasons Dr. Connors is at an old Spanish fort in the area. So to get there, he builds a propeller boat out of his webs. <sighs> and, and, like, if he would have just built the boat, I could have... Yeah, I've seen, him, disbelief. I've seen him do stuff like that before, but the fact he's got a... a an engine that works unless, unless he's doing like a, unless he's doing like a pedal thing where he's using pedals to get the thing to move. I call BS on that. If they could have explained it away. Also, if they stated he had grabbed a power source or an engine or something like that from Connors's lab. Yes. Yeah. But we get none of that. Hey Kyle, you're, you're a big Spidey fan. You give me an explanation for how Peter built this thing. <laughs> the boat. I've seen him do, like, craft stuff out of his webbing so that i i don't call bs i've seen him do stuff like that in the comic books I, he's done parachutes he's done he's, he, i've seen him you know model bats is an ep- issue of the avengers where he models his webbing to bats to mess with hercules when they're when all the avengers are waiting for cap to call them out so him to model stuff out of his webbing that's not unheard of but for an engine for him to actually have this fan that's actually propelling the boat going on the water unless he's like unless it and there's no engine, so unless he's got like, unless he were to show him do like some kind of webbing to where he has like a pedal system that way, like he's kind of like doing like a um a Flintstones thing, like he's doing like a bicycle thing that kind of helps to get the uh the the fan moving to help propel himself. I call BS. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I, I saw that. I'm just like, it, 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 it makes sense why the other guy was catching up to them. He doesn't have any, he doesn't have great power to get that boat to go. I think I think there's a I think one of the Spider-Man pictures takes uh, has that like exact scene where he's like speedboat made out of webbing because that's just how I go <laughs> or that's how just how I do things. Yeah. So Spidey and Billy are being tailed by gators, but Spidey spots something much worse, and I agree that this is worse because I don't like this Clivesden character. Also, I, I have questions about how the sky and water are both yellow. That's a good point. <laughs> so Cliveden shoots down the boat with one rifle blast and bids them farewell, leaving them to the gators, which Spider-Man handily handles. Mm-hmm. This Cliveden guy, like, is does not have much faith in Spidey, it seems. Oh. Now both parties are bound for the fort once more, and it's there we turn our attention to next as Dr. Connors laments being captured by comparatively primitive Conquistador. When his jailer arrives, Connors threatens that he can't be kept there and people will come looking, but the Conquistador silently points to a cannon, and Dr. Connors gets the message. Okay, I got a major question with the logic here. Why is he keeping Connors alive if he's worried about him letting out the secret? Why doesn't he just kill Connors? I mean, he's obviously showing that he would kill anyone else that tries to come in. But here he is. He brought food for Connor, so he's keeping him alive for some reason. It's never explained true. I mean, you could... Maybe he's lonely. That's (laughs) my best guess. Yeah. But we get nothing. But Dr. Connors, here's a boat coming in. Well, of course, it's Cliveden. And he's walking up just as Spider-Man is scaling the walls with Billy in tow. Cliven does a really bad job of trying to, like, win Connors over by trying to shoot his son. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. Of course, this is also after Billy gives away the position he and Spider-Man are watching the negotiations go from. This kid is a millstone. 
Well, he does have some use, as we'll see. So, Cliveton and Spidey duel as Billy goes for his dad while car- carrying the web shield Spider-Man made in a goofily animated fashion. I, I do have to say, Spidey's doing a remarkably terrible job against this Cliveson guy who seems way underpowered compared to most people's Spider-Man fights. I'll say, he's giving him more trouble than Doc Ock did. But Billy does eventually free Dr. Connors, and Spider-Man wraps up the fight, despite Cliveden getting the upper hand again, and again, and again. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, Cliveden didn't keep a hold of one of those knives to help him with that webbing. Well, and it, this this also proves how much, like, inconsistency, even, even just the art, because, you know, it's Spider-Man sta- just standing there, well, the Craven wannabes kicking Spider-Man, doing all these, uh, hit, getting all these hits on Spidey, and Spidey's just, you know, like, I don't know how to fight. <laughs> I'm gonna hang on this vibe for some reason. No kidding! It's like, dude, you can, you have acrobatics. You know how to, you, you have your own fighting style. Do something, but don't, you know, he's gonna take every kick and hit from this hunter. It's like you can on. literally climb walls, and you're gonna hang on this freaking. I know. Vibe. So Spider-Man wraps up the fight with Cliveden. Billy laments he couldn't save the hero like he saved his father. But then the conquistador aims his cannon at both Spidey and the doctor. Which props to this kid for just running up and thrusting the cannon up into the air. How strong is this kid? Because cannons aren't exactly light. Oh my god. (laughs) And even more contrivedly... The diverted path of the cannon goes right to the Fountain of Youth, destroying the whole thing. Oh my god. Lucky shot. Lucky (laughs) shot. Oh, lucky for the riders, anyways. Yeah. (laughs) The Conquistador panics and runs off, and Connors and Spidey muse that he could have been Ponce de Leon. But now the world will never know. Unless they, you know, chase him. I know. He destroys the Fountain of Youth, and the guy goes, <gasps> and just runs off. That's it. And nothing else. That, that's all we're going to see at the Conquistador. Yeah, they're just like, well, there he goes. So as thanks, Spidey hands Billy the gold doubloon as a makeshift medal, and then calls Betty to tell her that his sick friend had a bad case of Ponce de Leon. Oh, Jesus. Does that even make sense? No. <laughs> no. In fact, it makes less sense than that whole winking oyster bit from tomfoolery. <laughs> and then we see Spidey swing off into the distance again. Yep. And yet again, I still want to know, how did Peter afford a trip down to Florida and back? He, he stole JJ's uh, credit card. I, yeah, I know. It, even, that was, that's been the biggest, one of the biggest continuous things was Peter. Unlike the few years he had his own company... The boy could barely afford to pay rent. So how is he owning a car, paying insurance, paying to go to Florida and back? Please tell me all this. <laughs> oh, I'm afraid I can't. But I can tell you I have some incredibly mixed feelings about this cartoon. For everything it gets right, it gets something else so wrong. Oh, yeah. It, it's a mess, but it's a beautiful mess. <laughs> I... I was curious because I was watching these episodes on YouTube and I saw the next episode and it was this one where they have this invisible enemy called Mr. Noah Body who breaks <laughs> Green Goblin, Vulture, and Electra out of jail. 
And in throughout the whole fight, I was like, oh, wait, are we going to maybe get like sort of a Sinister Six thing? But no, it's just the three of them. And so after Spidey ends up beating them all, but he uh, he learns a new skill set after doing a speed course in ventriloquism. <laughs> and then at, at the very last part of it, it has J.J. that you know who the real villain of this whole thing was? And Peter does the whole throwing voice, and he goes, J. Jonah Jameson, and he closes his mouth, and Betty and Peter are like, you said it, boss, not us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this shows, like I said, it's a mess, but it's kind of a beautiful mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's a beautiful mess that just kept changing. In the second season, Grant Ray Lawrence had gone bankrupt and went out of business. And Grant's films took over the production themselves, bringing on Terry Toon animator Ralph Bakshi, who was working with Krantz, to direct. And the budget seemingly got even lower. Yeah, much animation was recycled from Rocket Robin Hood. And the majority of the villains are original creations, save for an appearance by the Kingpin. Yeah, to the point to where, like, uh, one of the episodes is just straight up a Rocket Robin Hood episode with just the hero swapped out for Spidey. At the same time, the episodes were now running the entire length of the half-hour runtime, and more focus was placed on Peter's life as a college student, as well as depicting his origin and Aunt May. Yeah. It's at least a plus. Now, as crackdowns on anything considered to be too violent began on animated content and the quote-unquote weirdo superheroes were being dropped from schedules, Spider-Man went to syndication for its third season, which also featured the first appearance in animation of Mary Jane Watson. Yep. And the cartoon would be reran here, there, and everywhere for a while. I actually didn't see this cartoon as a kid. I actually never saw it until I was in my 20s, and it was because I bought a random Spider-Man tape at a movie trading company. And I was just like, what the heck? I was like, oh, this is the old Spidey cartoon. I heard about this, but I never saw it. And when I watched it, I was like, this thing's hysterical. <laughs> I had rented a couple videos as a kid, but the first real memory of what, of seeing this cartoon I have is when I was in, on my first vacation in Toronto with my family. My first time seeing it was, I, I the first Spider-Man cartoon I ever saw was watching Saturday mornings with Spider-Man's Amazing Friends. And then later, after when it's syndication, watching and somebody showed me a few episodes of this one, I was like, "Wait, what happened to Spider-Man's voice? Why does this look so <laughs> bad animated badly?" <laughs> I, I think Spider-Man is Amazing Friends. Yeah, Spider-Man is Amazing Friends was definitely the first Spidey cartoon I recall seeing too. Yeah. Same. Though I will say that uh, one of the episodes that's on uh, was on that uh, VHS tape I found was one called "The Slippery Doctor Von Slick," oh, and there's a scene where like the villain has oil powers or whatever. And he like puts Spidey in this oil bubble and Spidey literally makes a razor blade out of his webs to cut himself out. Huh? And it's like shaped like a mini buzzsaw to like, for whatever reason. But yeah, I'm just like, excuse me, what? <laughs> so after the series, Krantz films and Ralph Bakshi would go on to a legacy of films that are, well, certainly different, distinctive and not without controversy. Yeah. Robert Lawrence would go on to produce many specials by Jim Henson, including Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Oh, that's a classic. Nice. And Spider-Man himself would not see new animated projects for roughly a decade, 
though he would crop up in live action on PBS's Electric Company, until Marvel entered the animation field themselves in an alliance with DePatty Freeling, which is another story for another day, true believers. Well, they're not even talking about the Nick Hammond Spider-Man uh, live action series. Oh, uh, that's true. That that was like in the 70s, right? Yeah, like 76. Yeah, and then there was also the uh, the Japanese Spider-Man show in the 70s. Which I st- is still one of my favorites. It, it's not your typical Spider-Man, but I love that series. <laughs> well, it mixes two things you love, Spider-Man and Power Rangers. So yeah, I know, and, and, and it was the very first Japanese series to use the big robot. Yeah. I bet Spider-Man wishes he could have brought that over when Marvel had the comics rights to Godzilla. Actually, oh. from what I understand, Stan Lee tried to bring it over. He actually really liked it. He just couldn't With get some... any networks to take it. Yeah, Battle Fever J was going to be the uh, was the series they were going to try to bring over, but they couldn't get it because... Or no, it wasn't, it wasn't Battle Fever J. It was, or was it Battle... Either Battle Fever J or Sun Vulcan. One of the two was going to be the series, but they... And he had, he had somebody on site. They did a dubbing, but the company just didn't want to go for it, so it just never happened. Seemingly, Stan Lee was a fan, though, of the Japanese Spider-Man show. So. Yeah. Well, that's just about all the thoughts I have about this particular series for me. You guys have anything we want to wrap up with? You, d- don't. Just realize what you're getting into when you watch the series. It could be a lot of fun, a bad camp fun. Just be, be aware of what you're getting into. It's enjoyable as long as you don't take it seriously. Exactly. Exactly. That, and to be honest, a lot of early superhero cartoons weren't exactly the greatest i no but i i will say this comparing it to some of the dc stuff that came out even from filmation there was a little more believability in the dc stuff than there was some of the spider-man stuff (laughs) uh i think probably like let's see super friends didn't come out until like the 70s right right no right yeah but you have you had you had the filmation you know superman cartoon the batman and you had the uh justice league teen titans and you also had the aquaman cartoon Right, I was just trying to think of what I would say the best superhero cartoon, or comic book-based superhero cartoon, not a superhero cartoon made just for animation, but actual comic book-based superhero cartoon would be during the 60s, and I think I'd have to give it to the uh, Fantastic Four cartoon, probably. The Hanna-Barbera one? Yeah. Yeah, I would give it, but that, that, that stayed pretty close to the comic book itself. Even if, like, Doctor Doom's design is pretty goofy-looking in that. <laughs> yeah. Now, you can always talk about the Patty Freeling Fantastic Four. Oh, good God. At least, <laughs> at least Dr. Doom looks more accurate and has a better voice than that, but that's about the only plus I can give that one. Magneto but, gets beat with a wooden gun. Wait, wait, wait. So, wait, so Magneto has the same we- same weakness as Alan Scott Green Lantern. <laughs> well, regarding that to Patty Freeling, Fantastic Four, all together now, it's, it's on, on the, the list. list. <laughs> But in the meantime, uh, is there a Spider-Man cereal on the shelves? Could be. Well, let's right go now, find I... out. Because oh. <laughs> it's time to restock the breakfast cereal. See ya! Bye. The companion changed to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast! The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.